Good morning. Uh, thanks for welcoming me. Like that's nice. Um, so, like Brian said, I, I've been all around, and uh, if we could show the map up here, I'll show you a little bit where we live. Here's Brazil, uh, a little bit of South America. So that city that's circled, that's Curitiba. That's where we live. Um, pastor church called Calvary Curitiba. And pretty cool little church. Very little, but that's very cool. And uh, we, I've lived in a couple different places in Brazil. I originally went down in January 2006. And I taught actually uh, going towards Paraguay, like straight across from, from Curitiba. Is a, there's a little town, little, little town called uh, Campo Moral. And we lived there. And uh, I was a teacher at the Bible college there. And then we, we spent two years in the south. We moved up to the northeast, way up on the point in the city up there called João Pessoa. And that's actually on the east. They have the easternmost point in all the Americas, which is an interesting thing because we have, we're the first place that the sun rises. So the sun rises at 5 a.m. every day. Uh, it's, it's interesting. By 7.30, you're already dripping wet, sweaty. It's, it's amazing. Um, so that was a tough place. And we moved back down uh, two years ago uh, to Curitiba. And we've been, basically it took over the church uh, we got there in February 2011, so we've been there for just over two years, and things are going pretty good. It's ups and downs, like, like all ministries, but uh, like I said, we've got a cool little church. It's really exciting. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. And uh, if you guys think about, think about us, you can pray for us, and maybe in the future we'll have some opportunities for you guys to come down. We're hoping to get a team or something to come down. Uh, I don't know if it'll be this year or next year, um, and maybe even some programs for, for people to come down and, and serve. So we'll see what happens, but we're going to keep you guys updated on that. Um, but yeah, pray for us. Pray for us in Brazil. We always need lots of prayer. You might think of Brazil and think, man, that guy's so lucky. He's like living on the beach and, you know, got these, everyone's playing soccer everywhere. And it's, yeah, it's not exactly like that. It's, it's a real city. We actually live in one of the nicest cities, maybe, maybe the nicest city south of our border here in the United States. Uh, it's it's really awesome city. So we have a very cool city. It's it's very not very a little bit artsy. Uh, we got great organization. Uh, it's much cleaner than than probably any city in all Brazil. Uh, we, so we got a, we got a very cool place that we live. It's it's really cool. And uh, maybe someday in the future, you guys come down and <coughs> visit us and check it out. So anyway, this morning we're going to be going through uh, one of the parables that Jesus told. So if you guys want to open up to Matthew chapter thirteen. We're going to be going through the parable of the sower. Um, sometimes I, I actually like to call it the parable of the soils, uh, but you can't change the name because Jesus called it the parable of the sower, so I've got to stick with Jesus, right? Um, but uh, it's definitely more about the soils than it is about the sower, and we'll explain that. Uh, but it's a story that's really good because Jesus tells this parable, and as usual, many people didn't understand it, but then he goes through and explains exactly what he meant. So that makes it easy to teach. So we're going to look through it, and we're going to go through verse by verse and check out and see what it says. So if you guys want to read along with me, um, we'll read Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll jump to the explanation in verses 18 through 23. All right, so let's start off. Matthew 13, starting verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and a great and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, 
and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they, they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, now jump down to verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received this who is uh, sorry, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good grounds, good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Well, this is one of my favorite parables, like I said, because Jesus already explained what it means. So it doesn't take rocket scientists to go through and analyze this and, and try and figure out what it means. But the most important thing about this passage is that we need to look at it and be able to apply these truths to our lives. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to go through and look at this because it describes four different types of soils. And each soil is representative of a different type of person, different type of heart. And so we've got to figure out, okay, which one is describing us and how can we make it better? So that's what we're going, that's what we're going to do today. So let's go through, let's look at these soils as Jesus describes it. He starts off with the first soil in verse, well, I guess sort of in verse 3. He talks about, he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And back in that day, what they did, they had a lot of people that would go out. They would prepare a field by plowing this field, and then they would have kind of a bag of seeds, whatever the seed was, maybe wheat or maybe corn. And they would go on out, and they would grab a handful, and they would kind of toss it out into the field. If the field is plowed correctly... The soil is ready to receive the seed, right? And so the seed will come down, fall into this soft soil that's been churned up, and it falls in, and it prepares to take root and, and begin to grow a plant or whatever it is. And so this guy's going out, and he's throwing it. As he throws it, it's going to go in all sorts of different directions. Perhaps it could bounce off, go somewhere. Maybe he throws one a little too far. And some of the seed is going to end up going onto a pathway that's on the side. Okay, now... Pathway is hard. That's where people are walking, right? And it says that the birds come and they devour it. So that seed never has a chance to take root, right? Okay, and then he talks about the second type of soil. In verse 5, he says, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They, they withered away. So this is the second type, right? 
lands on there, and there's, there's some sort of rock or stone underneath the surface. And so seed lands, there's a little bit of soil, it starts to go in, but it can't fully take root. And it, it goes down, it hits that rock, and now that rock is preventing that seed from getting the nutrients and the water that it needs in order to grow. And so what happens is it starts to grow, but as soon as the sun comes up, it starts to burn it because it doesn't have the moisture and the nutrients it needs to sustain the heat of the day. Right? So this is obviously a very bad thing. That seed is going to die. Okay, now, the third type of soil. He says in verse 7, Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. So what I was imagining is some of the fields that we drive by here, they're, they're usually somewhat square or rectangular shaped. And you can imagine in the corners, especially or along the edges, there are certain plants that are growing from the other side of the field, right? Maybe another field next to it. Or maybe they just cut to the edge of the wilderness, and now there's like some sort of jungle coming over, right? And so what happens is there's some sort of plant that's very strong, it's got thorns, and it starts to grow across. And as this, you know, whether it be like a head of wheat or a corn, starts to grow up, the thorns start to wrap itself around it. And it's going to cut that thing off from everything that it needs, and it's going to end up dying, right? It's going to not produce fruit like it's supposed to. So that's the third type of soil, also not good. But then we have the fourth type, and this is the good, obviously. And he says in verse 8, But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So when it lands in the good soil... It receives the seed, the seed begins to take root, it grows up, and it produces whatever it's supposed to produce, right? And that's the ideal. That's what we're looking for, okay? Now, these guys, they, they, they don't understand exactly what's going on, and, and after this, they talk to Jesus and say, well, you know, why are you teaching in parables? I don't understand this. And, and Jesus explains why he teaches in parables. We're not going to get into that right now. We don't have time. But then he says, okay, listen, let me explain this to you. Okay, praise the Lord, because it's kind of confusing, right? We don't live in the same agrarian society, although we do have a lot of agriculture here in San Luis Obispo. Most of us don't understand all the techniques and all this stuff about, about agriculture. So Jesus says, hey, let me explain it to you. Great. Okay, so jump down to verse 18. 18 and 19. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. So Jesus actually calls it the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So we have this first scenario. The first scenario is there is a path at least around one side of this field. And that makes sense, right? The farmer's got to walk down and check out and see, okay, is that everything straight, everything growing good? Okay, that's good. Come down, check the other one. It makes sense to have a path. And it might be a path all the way around the field. We don't know. And so at some point, there's going to be a seed that's going to bounce off the good soil for some reason. Maybe it hits another seed. Maybe it hits a rock. Maybe he just threw it too far, like I said, and then it lands on that path. Well, we know about paths, right? When we go, some of you guys go to Cal Poly, there, there's always little grass areas everywhere, and people want to cut across the grass, right? And so when you get an area of high, uh, high, man, my mind went blank, transit, I guess, uh, foot traffic, uh, you start walking across it. Everyone starts walking across the same thing. What happens? Kills the grass, knocks it down, makes it all hard, and that becomes a path even though it wasn't intended to be. And so that's exactly what's happening here on the wayside or the path, depending upon your translation. 
And so it lands there. It's so hard, the seed has no chance to get in. And so the seed is just basically sitting there right on the surface. And what happens? A bird's going to come down and eat. That's a good meal for him, right? A little snack. Well, what happens is he's saying, Jesus is saying that bird is representative of the enemy, Satan. I don't know if you guys know this, but we have an enemy, right? The enemy is not people that are around us. It's not people we don't like in the church. It's Satan himself. And actually, it's interesting because Luke chapter 8 tells the same story, but Luke adds some different details that Matthew didn't add, and he says it's Satan. So Satan comes in, and it says he takes that seed, and he takes it out of the heart of the person that didn't understand. He doesn't want them to understand about the preaching of the gospel. See, the seed represents the word of God. And we come and we, we preach the word of God. We, we share the things from this so that you can learn the truths of God and grow in Jesus Christ. But what happens is the enemy is always around saying, how can I stop them from growing and from knowing Jesus Christ better? And so what it says is that he actually comes and takes some of the seeds away. How does he do that? I have no idea. I have no idea. But it sounds like it's a pretty serious thing. Ephesians 6 describes to us that there is a spiritual battle going on around us all the time. Now, it's spiritual, so we don't see it. But there's angels, there's demons, there's Satan himself somewhere around, and we don't, we don't know what's going on, but they're doing everything they can to stop us from knowing Jesus Christ. And so what happens is you have someone who is not a believer, someone who has not received the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has to offer, and they hear the word of God, but they, they don't understand it exactly. Or maybe their heart is a little bit hard, and they're saying, I'm not sure about this, you know? And they don't have the proper heart to go and seek after the word of God. We see in Acts chapter 17, it talks about the church in Berea. And it says that they were more noble than the believers in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was really true. Well, some people, they hear the word of God and they go, ah, what is that? I don't know. Ah, forget it. They don't have that heart that's going to get in and seek to see, what is this? Is it really true? And then what happens? The enemy comes in, he snatches that away, and that seed never was able to take root, and they were never able to be saved. Right? Now, fortunately, there's a lot of seeds, and so there's always more chances, right? I remember before I, before I became a Christian, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I remember going to these Bible studies and hearing things, and I, you know, I didn't understand so much of it. And I'm sure that there were times when the enemy came in and snatched it right away, like, oh, you don't need that, you don't need that. And I was like, yeah, I don't need that, you know? And I just went along doing my thing. That's the job of the enemy. He's, he's out to get you. Now, we don't want to go to either extreme with the enemy. What happens is with the enemy, Satan, we start to make either too much of a big deal for him, or we just forget that he even exists. And either extreme is always going to be wrong. Satan exists. He's real. He is our enemy, and he's out to get us. Now, he's not doing everything bad in our life. You know, it's not like anything that you get in a car accident. It was Satan. Satan made me hit them. No, it was you. You weren't paying attention, right? But we got to realize, hey, he is real. Living here on the Central Coast, I just want to tell you guys, you guys are blessed to live here. This is one of the most beautiful places in the entire world, okay? Um, and so sometimes, because it's so beautiful, because it's so nice to live here, we can get a little bit complacent. We can, we can start to forget that the enemy's out there against us. Don't forget, okay? He's out there. 
He's trying to lull you into a little sleep. He's trying to make you forget that he exists so that he can go about doing everything that he wants to do. Okay? So let's be aware of that. The first type of soil is a person that's heart is so hard they cannot receive it, and Satan comes in, snatches up the word of God. Let's look at the second type of soil here. Look at verse 20 and 21. It says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So the second type of soil, the heart is a little bit softer. It's someone who can receive the word of God, but there's some problems. They say there's, there's stones, there's rocks, there's something underneath the surface that the sower is not seeing. And so they throw some seed and it lands, it looks good, but the roots can't get down to get the nutrients that they need. Now, we all understand, everyone here understands, that the roots are the key to the plant. If you cut the roots off, the plant dies, right? Because it creates stability, it gets the nutrients, it gets the water, and it sends it up into the plant. Without those roots, there's nothing. And so what happens? This person, of the stony places, the roots cannot get down to where it needs to go. It's hitting a rock. And so what happens? It grows up, it received the word of God. But then all of a sudden, when the sun rises, it burns that thing to a crisp, and that plant ends up dying. Well, what he's saying is the sun is representative of tribulations and persecutions that come against Christians. And it's interesting, if you guys turn with me, turn with, Luke, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 is when Jesus tells the same story, but Luke included a few details that Matthew didn't include. So he has some insights that we can use. Luke chapter 8, and look at, it's in 11, verses 11 through 15. You see, when Luke starts to go through and tell this story, he says, listen, uh, the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, this is verse 13, sorry, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation, fall away. It's interesting. He adds another, another aspect to it. He talks about tribulations in Matthew. He talks about uh, persecutions. And all of a sudden, Luke's saying, times of temptation. I understand this because, like I said, when I started to hear the word of God for the first time, um, or when I really started to study it for the first time, I was going to this Bible study in high school, and I started to learn. I'm hearing what these guys are saying, and I'm not understanding everything, but in my heart, I'm like, man, this seems like it's truth. This seems like what they're saying is really true and really important for me. But I had some barriers. I had some rocks that were underneath the surface. And so what happened is, a little bit after that, as I'm going to this Bible study learning, all of a sudden, I start dating a girl. And this girl has nothing to do with Jesus. She's as far from Jesus as you can imagine. And she was leading me away from Jesus as well. And so it became like a stone underneath the surface. I was hearing the word of God. I was receiving it with, even with a little joy. But the root couldn't get down into my heart because there was this stone there that was blocking it. And so what happened is it pulled me away for a while. Now, fortunately, that relationship didn't work out. And I ended up coming back and getting involved. And I ended up getting to the point where I did receive the seed of uh, the word of God. 
Uh, but this is something that's so simple. It's a rock. It's a barrier. It's something that's in your heart that's keeping you from really understanding the Word of God and really growing up. And so what happens is a temptation comes, and you say, well, that temptation looks really good. I'm going to go after that. You know? And it starts to look like it's better than Jesus. It's not, but it looks like it, right? Sin is very enticing. It's something that looks like, man, that's going to so be good for me. That's, that's going to really gratify me right now. But in the long run, it never does. And so what happens is that temptation deceives you, and you start going after it. Sometimes there's persecution, and people say, oh, no, I don't want to be a Christian. This is getting weird. You know, I'm not going to be part of this. Or sometimes there's just tribulations. There's hard times that come upon, upon Christians sometimes. And you're trying to live with Jesus, you're, you're learning, you're growing, but then this weird trial comes and you say, oh, this is too hard, you know, I'm going back to my old way of life. The thing about this plant is that it ends up getting scorched, and the scorching is obviously, it, it utterly kills the plant. And so that plant is not representative of someone who is entering into the kingdom of God, who is going to receive that salvation. It looks pretty bad for that person. We have to understand that Jesus is far greater than anything this world has to offer. And so even when there is tribulations, persecutions, or temptations, whatever it is that comes, these things will come, but Jesus is always greater than every one of them. And so we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Otherwise, we're going to end up being like that second plant that grows up but gets scorched and produces nothing. All right, look at the third type of soil back in Matthew. Keep your finger in Luke. Matthew chapter 13, look at, <coughs> look at verse 22. It says, Now, he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Okay, so you have this situation. The seed falls on good soil, it is received. It goes down. It takes root. It begins to grow just like it's supposed to. But something comes in, and it talks about these thorns. The thorns come in, and they choke out that plant, and that plant never is able to produce the fruit like it's supposed to. And that's exactly what it's supposed to do, right? Everything that we produce, that's growing, it's supposed to produce some sort of flower, some sort of fruit, some sort of grain, right? It's going to produce something. So if it grows up and there's nothing there... What good is it? It's worthless. They take it out, they throw it in the trash, right? So this is the problem. The thorns come in and they choke it out. Now, whenever we think about thorns in a plant, it's always a bad thing, right? Uh, the thorns are something that hurts. I remember back when I was a kid, um, I was on my street. I was playing uh, football with one of my buddies. He lived a couple houses up from me. And we're running past patterns like, go on out and throw it long, you know? And my buddy, he starts running out, and I'm like, go long. And I throw it, and it sails a little bit too high. And so he runs, he turns, and he starts going back, and he goes to this, this wall, a low wall that's on the house, right in front of where we're playing. And so his back hits the wall, and there's a bunch of plants in there. Well, the plants are rose bushes. And so he hits that, and he falls back into the rose bush. And that rose bush basically it was like it had claws, it just grabbed a hold of his head. And he came out, I didn't even see him, he just put his hand over his face and ran to his house. And I, I went back, I chased him down, and I come in, he's in the bathroom, and his mom is pulling thorns out of his scalp. And there's this blood dripping down, I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I gotta work on my throw, you know, like get those throws down. Um, 
thorns are a bad thing. And so what happens here in this situation is the thorns, they represent certain things that come into our lives and choke us out. And what it says here in Matthew, it says that the thorns are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Okay? These are very dangerous things, right? Because when you think about riches, they deceive so many people. So many people spend their entire life pursuing riches, and for what? So they can celebrate how rich they are, so they can die and pass it to their, to their uh, children or their grandchildren. And what does it do? It consumes their whole life. That people say the, the more you have, the more you have to worry about, right? And, and that's true, right? And so the cares, the, the, uh, the riches of life are something that really are deceitful. And we pursue after that to the point that we start to lose sight of Jesus and it makes us less fruitful in him. And it's the same thing with the cares of the world. The world, they're going to tell you to be concerned about so many things that are not truly important. The things that are really important are the things of the kingdom of God. And so when we get involved in the kingdom of God, worrying about the word of God, the the souls of men, we start worrying about the salvation of people around us, that's what truly is important. But the world starts to distract us, and it starts to become about what type of shoes we have or the type of cell phone that we have or our possessions or even just our career getting ahead because that's really important. Um, and, And things that are so simple begin to take away from Jesus. Now, again, back in Luke, he gives us another little insight that I think adds a lot to this passage. In Luke chapter 8, when Luke's telling this story, Jesus adds another thing. Look at Luke 8, verse 14. It says, Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go on out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. They bring no fruit to maturity. The pleasures, that's something that gets us, especially here in California, right? we got the best weather maybe in the world. we got beautiful landscape here in the central coast. There's so many things to do. You want to go mountain biking. You want to go hiking. You want to go rock climbing. You want to go surfing. Whatever it is, there's something for you here, right? And that can become something that consumes us. We start looking after the next adventure, the next chance to have fun, right? Thinking, oh, what are we going to do tonight? What are we doing tomorrow night? What are you guys doing next week? You know, we got to plan this out. What are we going to do tonight? And that begins to consume us, right? And now all of a sudden, our focus in life is like, well, hey, what's going on? What are we going to do? Instead of, what does Jesus have for me? What is the kingdom of God doing here? How can I get more involved in that? Okay, now, we have to say this very clearly. Anything, a lot of the things that are involved in the cares of the world and almost all the things that are involved in the pleasures of life, depends on the pleasures, they're not necessarily sin in and of themselves, Most of them are good things. You think about surfing, for example. Surfing is a blessing that God gave to us, and we are allowed to go on out and enjoy his creation by going out and getting in the water, feeling the cool of the water, catching a wave. Man, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But if that begins to consume us, it's going to take away from our time with Jesus, and we're going to end up producing less fruit or maybe no fruit because our focus comes in on when's the next wave, when's the next swell coming in. That's not good. We think about all the pleasures that we have here in California and in the United States in general. I mean, it is consuming. Everything is about entertainment. 
Probably most of you guys have cool cell phones that you can access the internet 24-7. You might have an iPad or some cool computer that you can do things. And there's always some new game, some new application. There's always something that you can do at every moment of every single day of your life. I mean, you can literally consume every moment of your life doing something and never have a chance to connect with Jesus like he really wants to. That's what he's talking about here. The lifestyle that we have here is so good. We have peace. We have beauty. We have great weather. And it it leads us to a lifestyle that is focused in on these things rather than the kingdom of God. But our life is meant to be focused in on the kingdom of God. The thing is about these things, it starts off so simple, you know? Got a, oh, I got this little game. Oh, this is fun, you know? And next thing you know, you're spending two, three hours playing games. You haven't read your Bible. You haven't talked to Jesus. You haven't, you haven't had any connection with God that entire day, but you've had connection with your iPad or whatever it is. That can be dangerous, right? We think about the cares of this world. Some of the cares are really important. Your job is important. You've got to go to work. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to go because I need to spend time with Jesus, right? I don't think your boss is going to understand that. So you've got to go to work. What are you going to do? Well, you got to go, but you have to have the right mindset while you're there. Or your family, right? Having a a husband or a wife, that can be something that can take your attention away. Having kids. Man, I I got a little kid. She's three years old, and my wife is almost six months pregnant now. We got another one coming. We're so excited. It's so much fun. But man, it will consume you if you allow it. It really will. And your kids is something that really is an enormous priority in your life. Enormous. In fact, your first ministry is meant to be to your family. But you got to remember, Jesus is always first. He has to be. He has to be first in everything that we do. And if he's not, then the priority gets out of whack, and all of a sudden we start producing less fruit. When you think about it, some of you guys have probably read uh, Galatians chapter 5. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it's one of the most important chapters on practical Christian living in the entire Bible. So, it goes through and it lists off the fruit of the Spirit. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is, and it lists off these amazing things, love, joy, peace, patience, these amazing things that we all want in our lives. And I go through and I read that all the time. Every time I read it, I'm like, man, I want more of that. How do I get more of that? Well, I need more of the Holy Spirit, right? It says that it's the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Not me. I don't have to produce those things. I don't have to practice being more patient, practice having more self-control. Oh, the Holy Spirit produces that in me if I surrender to him, okay? But that's the key. In order to get more fruit, I have to be more surrendered to him. And what happens is these thorns start to come in, and they start to choke. They start to hurt. They start to distract. And all of a sudden, this plant that's growing up that's initially healthy, that has good soil, that has strong roots, it's not producing what it's supposed to. Why not? Because we've lost our focus, okay? This is not about the power of the Holy Spirit being strong enough to produce this in our lives. He is. He's easily strong enough. The problem is us, right? We need to walk in the Spirit. The more we walk in the Spirit, the less we walk in the flesh, the more fruit we produce. And that's the key here. So what we have to do is we have to go through and look at these things from this parable. Jesus says very clearly, hey, listen, these are the things that are taken away from your experience with me. Cares of this life, okay? The deceitfulness of riches, the pleasure-seeking, okay? Again, 
taking care of your job, taking care of your kids, seeking pleasure, having a good time, that's not sin in and of itself. But it will become sin if it takes you away from Jesus and draws you away from producing the fruit that you're supposed to produce. So we got to check that out. Okay, now, the last bit of soil here. Matthew 13, verse 23. He says, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Okay, so he says, when we have that good soil, and that's representative of our hearts, right? So when we have a heart that is soft, that is ready to receive the word of God, to completely surrender over to him, he will produce fruit. And it says some 100, some 60, some 30-fold. And we look at that and we say, wait, why is that? Now, I heard some people explain to it, well, it's kind of like some people have a different anointing, you know? Some people are like Billy Graham. He literally led millions of people to Jesus over the course of his lifetime, okay? We're not Billy Graham, right? No one here is Billy Graham. I hope someone is, but the next Billy Graham maybe. But most of us are not. And so, well, Billy Graham's going to produce 100-fold, but maybe we're just going to produce 30 I don't buy that. I don't buy that for one minute, actually. In fact, I look at that, and I say, really, I, I think it's dependent upon us. Now, I'm not trying to put a burden on us. It's not trying to be like, we have to go out and produce fruit. Again, it comes from the Holy Spirit. But it is up to us to surrender. That's our job. Our job is to come and surrender everything to the Holy Spirit. When he takes over our life and starts to work, he produces the fruit. And I believe that the difference between the 100, the 60, and the 30 is the person who has a heart that's completely surrendered to Jesus and the person that's just mostly surrendered to Jesus. I really believe that. Now, you can disagree with me. That's fine. But I really think through Scripture it shows all throughout the Scriptures that we see the people who had the heart, who truly surrendered to Jesus, tended to do amazing things, things that were beyond our understanding, miracles, leading hundreds, millions of people to do all sorts of crazy things. It's all the people that are surrendered to God. So we have to ask ourselves, what type of soil describes us today? Right? Four types. The first type looks like a person who's not saved and is not open to receiving the word of God. If that's you tonight, I would plead with you. Please humble yourself. Receive the word of God. Study this. See if it's true. What do you have to lose? Okay? If it's not true, we all go to the same place. If it's true, there's huge consequences that come from it because it's the, the, the difference between heaven and hell, okay? Now, I think most of you probably aren't in that first group, right? Second group, those are people who receive the word of God, but they, they have those stones that are hindering them. It was like me when I was first investigating Jesus. I was at that Bible study. I was, I was hearing, I was receiving it with joy. But there were those rocks that were below the surface in my heart, that were preventing me from really receiving it and allowing it to take root. And that might be you guys tonight. I always had this thing in my mind, man, I don't, I don't want to receive right now. No, no, no. No, no, no. I don't want to have that, you know? I, I want to be able to go on off and experience life. I want to go off to college and just party like a rock star. And what happened is eventually God convicted me so much, I saw I need to remove those stones from my heart. That was my responsibility. And so I had to go through and just say, Lord, forgive me. And I had to take those things out in order that the seed could have the roots get down into the soil and eventually begin to grow. Maybe that's you tonight. 
Maybe you need to, to remove some rocks. There are some things that are hindering you from being closer to Jesus. What are they? How can you get rid of them? Confess that to the Lord. The third type of soil is actually probably more common. And unfortunately, I would say it describes a lot of Christians today all throughout the world. It's someone who received the word of God. Yeah, I'm saved, man. I believed in Jesus. I received that that forgiveness of sins that he has to offer. And they, they actually started to grow. But then what happens? Well, things of the world, they start to distract. All of a sudden, the thorns come and they start to choke them out. And next thing you know, they're not producing any fruit, even though they are a Christian. They've been born again. That's sad because this is the reason that God has created us. We've been created to produce fruits. Fruit, I guess, fruits. Um, And and actually, what Jesus said is that we would produce lots of fruit so that God would be glorified. So we need to check our hearts. What are the thorns that are in our lives? They could be good things, like I said. Things that are absolutely beautiful, blessings from God. But maybe those blessings of God we've allowed to take the prominent position in our hearts. And now all of a sudden, our kids, our family, our job, our hobbies, whatever it is, our school, they start to go above Jesus and Jesus starts to go underneath. Maybe just put, I'll just put Jesus on the back burner for a little bit and let him simmer while I really heat up these things in the front because that's really what's important. You're never going to produce the fruit that God has intended for you. And that's the most important thing. We're here to produce fruit. I want to produce fruit. Man, when I look at that list of the fruit of the Spirit, I look at that and I said, man, I want all of that in my life at every moment. I don't have that. I don't know anyone that really does. But I want that. How do I get it? i got to surrender. i got to surrender more. And so that leads us to the fourth type of soil. The fourth type of soil is the person who has that good heart, who's open who's humble to receive the word of God and let it do whatever it wants, right? Our job is not to analyze the word of God and try and find out how it can fit our lives. Our job is to let the word of God work in us and change us so that we can follow after it, right? In order to do that, we've got to surrender. We've got to allow the word of God to do its thing in us and eventually through us to impact other people. But that's up to us. That's our job. We've got to go through Now, one of the things that we see in the prophet Isaiah, way at the end, he actually says it a couple times. He says, um, God is speaking in Isaiah 66, verse 2. says, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. Okay? You want to know who God looks at? You want to know who God is, is closest to? This is what he says. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, who trembles at my word. In another passage in Isaiah, he says, who has a humble and contrite spirit. He talks about humility in that. Contrite is a a word that we don't use very much, but it basically just means repentant. And so what he means is someone who hears the word of God and says, wow, I'm not doing that. Lord, help me. And they repent when they hear the word of God. They have a humility about them to understand that the word of God is greater than them, greater than the things of the world, and they say, I'm going to do whatever I need to do in order to follow the word of God. That's what he's saying. And so you say, well, I want God to look on me. I want to be close to him. How do I get that? We've got to surrender. We've got to go through our lives. We've got to look through and say, okay, where are the stones? I've got to remove them. 
Where are the thorns? What are those that are choking me out? I got to remove those. I got to remove anything in my life that's going to hinder me from being closer to Jesus because that's the reason that I'm here. That's the whole reason, right? I mean, God loves us so much. We've all heard John 3.16 that he sent his only son to die for us, right? He died so that we could experience him and know him more and spend the rest of eternity in heaven. So if we've already received that gift of eternal life, why is it that we have to suffer through this life? Why can't we just get out of here and go be in paradise with him, right? The thief up on the cross, he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And I'm like, oh, I want that, man. How can I get there, right? We're here suffering sometimes, right? Sometimes we're enjoying it. But I would rather be with God. Why am I not there? Because God's got a plan. God says, no, I'm not done with you. When I'm done with you, I'll bring you to be with me because that's, that's what I sent Jesus to die for. I want you to be with me. So as long as you're still here, we have a mission to go through and complete, okay? Some of us, we're not going on the mission. We're kind of just living our lives, getting choked out, and God's like, no, 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 I, I have you there for a reason. I, I want you to go this direction. I want you to do this. Well, the thing is, I say this to my church all the time. I think it's true for everyone. You look in your heart right now. If you cannot say right now to God, God, I will go anywhere. I will do anything at any time. You just say the word. If you can't say that, there's something drastically wrong with your relationship with God. It's funny because we use the word Lord. We, we sing songs that's got Lord in there. We sing to the Lord. What does Lord mean? It means master. Look it up in the Greek. It means master. So what we're saying is we have become your servant. We have surrendered everything to do your will. Not us. Not ours. Right? His will. So we've got to look in our hearts because sometimes we have these attitudes. No, no, I'll never go there. No, I'll never do that. And I'll tell you what, I, we had the hardest time in the northeast of Brazil. I never want to go back to the northeast of Brazil. It's hot. It's sweaty. The people are rude. They don't like Americans. It's brutal. And we were there, and I'm, I'm like, Lord, I never want to go back to that place. And I, the other day, I had to say, I had to sit down and say, okay, Lord, if you want me to go back, I will go. <laughs> it's the last place I want to go. You know that, but I will go because I am your servant, you know. So the idea here is very simple. How much have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Okay? It's good that you receive that free gift of salvation, but that's not where it ends. It just begins. It's a life being surrendered to Jesus. And so we've got to go through right now. You've got to look at your heart. Where is your heart? Are you looking, hopefully not like the first soil? Are you looking more like the second soil? Are you looking more like the third soil? Ask yourself this question. How much fruit am I producing? Is there any fruit? Is there a little bit? Hopefully, right? But how much more could there be when we surrender our life completely over to Jesus? He's just looking for a heart that is humble and contrite that will follow after him. He's looking for someone who's going to surrender their will in order to walk in the Holy Spirit like Galatians 5.16 says. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Okay? I think all of us have a long ways to go, all of us, including me, including Brian. Every one of us has a long way to go. So we're not coming here to condemn anybody. We're just coming here to exhort you and say, hey, you've got to get a little bit introspective. Don't get too much, right? It's a little too, too dangerous, but get a little bit. You've got to look in your life and say, what's going on inside? What am I doing? Where is my heart? Am I preoccupied with things that really have nothing to do with the kingdom of God? 
Because if the answer is yes, probably is, we've got to surrender those things over to God, and we've got to be able to walk with him. I'll leave you with this. If you guys think about missions or missionaries, right? You might think like, oh, this guy's a missionary. Whoa, it's so spiritual. Let me tell you, I'm not, okay? It's not about spirituality that you get sent out onto the mission field. Really, I believe personally that someone is sent out to the mission field because they are open to it. That's it. I remember back when I was in college, I just, I got down on my knees and I said, okay, Lord, whatever you want, I will go and do anything anywhere, anytime, just say the word. And, and that began an adventure. And I have, ne- I have not lived in the same city for more than three years since that time. I have traveled around. I have moved. It's tiring sometimes. It's difficult sometimes. But I know God is trying to use me to do something great for his kingdom. And when I think about that, I just say, wow, that's what it's all about. That's, that's what this life is about. I want to be used for his kingdom so that I can stand before him on that day and and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I just be like, yes, that's what it's about. The only thing that separated me from other people is that I just said, send me out, Lord. Here I am. Send me, right? He could do the same with you. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a teacher. The mission field is open for anybody anywhere in the world, really. It is so open, and it's always needing people. So you got to ask yourself, are you open to that? We actually have, sorry, I'm over time, but one more story. We have this, uh, this couple that we know, and they had their whole life set up. Their, their kids were all, you know, getting married. They had grandkids. They, they, had, uh, they had basically had this awesome business that they had sold and were retiring, and they had their house paid off. They were like, great, here we are. And then they said, well, I don't know, Lord, do you have something else? Oh, man. Goes right out the window, right? Their whole plan is out down the drain. And what happens is now all of a sudden these guys are coming down to Brazil every six months. They, they only have a tourist visa, so they can come down for six months. And they're traveling around the world, and they're starting to do, working with the churches down in Brazil and, and trying to work to bless the churches and strengthen them. And they said, well, it all started because we opened up our hearts and said, God, do you have anything else for us? And God did, okay? He might have some awesome plan for you. It's going to be far better than any plan that you can come up with. So surrender to it. Let's check your heart tonight. Let's see. Uh, what are the areas in your life that you need to let go of? Right now we're going to have another time of worship, and the worship band's going to come back up. We want to respond. And while we respond to the Lord, check your heart. Okay? Just, just check your heart and say, what, what's in there, Lord? What is in there that's keeping me from knowing you more, from being closer to you? Because those are the things that we need to remove starting today. Thanks, Tom, for uh, sharing. Appreciate that. And uh, let's just thank Tom for coming out here. It's great. So. If you get the chance, maybe uh, show Tom some hospitality, him and his wife, Lou. Uh, they'd love to meet you. Um, if you get a chance after the service, maybe say hi to him. Get to know him a little bit. Um, we're going to just finish up with some singing. And uh, why don't we all stand? We have um, some rugs in the front for you guys to just get on your knees and worship for God. We'll have some people available who would love to pray with you. We have communion in the back as an opportunity for you guys to partake of communion. Um, as a family, if you're part of a small group, if you're part of a, just even a group of people, just invite people maybe that you just see by themselves, maybe back there, and bring them into the little circle. I mean, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, I mean, the whole idea of partaking of communion is not just something we do individually. It's something we do together as a family. That's what the whole element of communion talks about. If you're a Christian, we invite you to to partake of that, to be a part of that. 
Um, Tom's job was to just be faithful to preach the Bible. Our, our job is to respond. And um, for some of us, it's going to look like confessing sin for God and asking God to help us. And others of us, it's just asking God to stoke a fire, serve a fire in our hearts to be willing to do what God wants us to do. Because really, at the end of the day, when we talk about salvation is by grace, it's free to us. But it's through faith, meaning we trust you guys know anything about any relationship, to trust your heart to somebody is scary, isn't it? We don't really know if, I mean, think about how many times we give ourselves our heart to somebody that's not super trustworthy, and then when we give our heart to them or we share a secret with them, they can betray us. It's painful. It's difficult. It's challenging. And that's, in a lot of ways, is what it means to trust God. It's to give God our heart, to trust Him with our heart. So the question is, is God trustworthy? The reality is that, yes, God is trustworthy because God is a God that comes to us and rather than crushing us, he was crushed for us. So we have a God that has totally proven himself trustworthy. So I encourage you to just entrust your heart to him right now. Trust him. Trust him with your sin. He won't shame you. He won't mock you. He won't somehow straightjacket guilt onto you. In fact, what he does is he takes that off of you freeze you. It's the beautiful reality of who our God is. So I'm going to invite you into this. I'm going to pray, sing, um, rugs, people praying, communion. Let's do it. God, thank you so much for your great grace. We want to even now entrust our worship and our love into your hands and just say thank you, God, that we have this opportunity to be able to be here to do this with you in this moment. Thank you for your word. Let it resonate and move within our hearts. And God, by grace through us. Help us to respond. Help us, we pray.